I just want to tell you about a couple of tour discounts. There's an incredible 10% off the next two signups for my April Taiwan tour and May Kazakhstan tour. If you're interested in either of those locations, get in touch with Tropical Birding as soon as possible. everybody welcome back to naturally adventurous uh this is ken and charlie again we had a bit of a backlog of places we'd been experiences we'd had that we had not podcasted about we don't necessarily have to to do a podcast about everything we do but i would say most trips you take there's there's some interesting stuff that's that's fun to share so this is another uh little little catch-up podcast i guess about three months ago Charlie, you guided a Madagascar trip, and then on your uh, way to Madagascar, you stopped in Mauritius, the, the little island nation of Mauritius, for a couple days. So we're going to chat about Mauritius in this episode. It's a place that hasn't received any coverage to this point, although it's close to my sort of adopted home of Madagascar there. You know, I've got this collecting mentality, you know, listing birds or, or whatever, but... Um... I'm kind of collecting countries on the podcast now. I think it's a good metric just to give coverage to a lot of different places. Yeah, uh, yeah. That would and be, so if ever I know, you know, I hear, hear about somebody that's been to some way out place that no one ever goes, you know, one of the stands or Paraguay or something like that. It, it's like, ooh, okay, we've got to get this person on the show. <laughs> so you, you don't get many chances to to chat about it, but yeah, I definitely want to wanted to have a little short one about Mauritius. So before we get into it, just a quick promo for a tour that I'm going to be guiding in a few months. In June, I'm going to be guiding a set departure trip to Alaska for tropical birding. And there's still a couple slots on that trip available. So if you're interested, you can check out on the tropical birding website all the details of the trip. Uh, You can definitely get in touch with me directly if you have questions or if you're interested. Really I mean, Alaska is not an easy place to see uh, on your own. And actually, I mean, it, it's not a cheap trip, but I think joining a group tour is probably as or more cost effective than doing it on your own. And then you have the addition of having an expert guide with you. So, <laughs> yes, truly. I'm right here. <laughs> no, I mean. It's uh, we'll definitely be you, you'll be hearing it about it on the podcast, and when you do, you probably wish you had been. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> right, avoid future regrets. Sign up today. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll we'll get into into Mauritius. So, why did you decide to go to Mauritius in the first place? So I've done so many trips to Madagascar, and I really wanted there's a, there's a place in Madagascar that I really wanted to go. Um, that was uh, Bermanivica. I wanted to go and see these these 
kind of endemics, Madagascar endemics, Malagasy endemics that I'm missing still. And uh, I was told that I would need a certain amount of time to do that. And I looked how much time I had. And I could have gone if I'd have missed my wife's birthday. But uh, I didn't want to do that. So rather than having uh, missing my wife's birthday and going to Madagascar seven days early, I stayed for my wife's birthday and went to Mauritius for five days with a happy wife. So, uh, yeah, that was my rationale. Um, and it, I also noticed that I could sort of go there indirectly without having to pay for it myself, which is uh, which is cool. There, there's no direct flight from Thailand, but there is one from Malaysia, uh, from Kuala Lumpur. And I can actually fly from Chiang Mai to Kuala Lumpur very cheaply. So I figured, I worked out the cost of doing sort of Chiang Mai, Kuala Lumpur, Kuala Lumpur, Mauritius, Mauritius, Madagascar. And it was like pretty much the same cost as I would have paid going there directly via any other route. So I thought, no, if I'm going to be able to have five days of birding and get, you know, 10 lifers, um, then uh, that's what I'm going to do. So this is something we've talked about in the podcast previously, but when you've spent quite a bit of time in a given region and a bird book or even a mammal book yeah. or even a, a herp <laughs> book covers a given set of wildlife and you keep not having seen some of those things that are covered in that book, they just sort of bother you. I'm sure that was the case for you with Madagascar because the, the, the Madagascar book that we've traditionally used covers those islands, the other Indian Ocean, Western Indian Ocean islands. And there are some cool birds on those islands and, you know, you've guided, what, 10... 15 Madagascar trips, and yeah. I bet those birds were nagging you. They were, but it, it actually went back further than that. Have I told you about the Dodo Club? Not that I recall. <laughs> right. You know the Durrell Institute used to be the, the Jersey Wildlife um, Preservation Trust. It was um, a chap called Gerald Durrell. He was a British zookeeper, very conservation-minded, and he... He pretty much saved a lot of a lot of species from extinction, but he had these pet, certain pet projects. Um, he would form links with countries, and and he would get some individuals of very rare species, and he would take them back to his zoo and breed them, and set up breeding programs, and you know, s sort of spread them around the world in in collections, and then do reintroduction projects as well, and also like educational projects and training local people, and you know, they did some really good work. But um, yeah, so the the Jersey Wildlife Preservation Trust, as it was, had a sort of membership scheme. Um, but they also had a little club for kids. And they sent you, I think it was maybe a quarterly magazine. It was called the Dodo Club. And they, they gave you a little magazine about, you know, all the animals that they were saving. And they sent you a poster. And uh, and you got a little badge saying, you're, you know, you're a proud member of the Dodo Club. So this is probably when I was about eight or nine, you know, or and I had all these posters over my walls. I had like posters of pink pigeons and and eyes and stuff like that because I did work in in Madagascar as well. So I I, I always looked longingly, dreaming of one day going to uh, see the pink pigeon. And when I was a teenager as well, I worked in a bird collection. When I was like sixteen, that was my part time job was was feeding birds. And we we kept pink pigeons, so I was kind of involved with like caring for these these pink pigeons and stuff. So I've I've had quite a long history with Mauritian birds and uh, yeah I've wanted to see them for a long time so Mauritius 
is definitely an island of mass extinction and uh that's probably i mean that's probably part of the appeal to you is that some of these things that have not gone extinct have come very close to extinction like the pink pigeon uh like the white eye some of the birds have got as close to extinction as as almost you can get and still made it back you know like the i think the mauritius kestrel went down to four individuals the echo parakeet went down to i don't know what it was it was under 10 individuals might have been like seven or eight so these things came really close to joining the dodo and and a lot of the others i i was actually surprised how many other ones everybody knows the dodo but there's there's quite a few like pretty spectacular birds that went extinct on mauritius yeah i've never been in a place in, a, in any other place in the world where the dominating feeling to me when interacting with nature was just that of loss of like there's mm. almost nothing left here to the extent that the sort of national symbol the thing they're selling to tourists is like little carved dodos and you know dodos on shirts and little stuffed dodos and something about that just seems wrong to me like you guys wipe this thing out like you don't it's not here anymore and you can't see it it's like that can't be your <laughs> your sort of icon or your slogan that's not fair. Yeah. Um, it's such a weird place. I can't think of any other place on Earth where that sort of their mascot animal is something that's been extinct for whatever, 300 years. It certainly grabs a limelight, but I mean, there was a bunch of stuff, you know? There a bunch was, of stuff. There was like a yeah, it was a blue pigeon. There was a, there was a huge parrot, like this kind of ground parrot. And there was, um, I think, a big, a big rail there. You know, it was a whole bunch of really pretty spectacular things. But yeah, the dodo usually... It's become almost a symbol of extinction. You know, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a lesson to the world of, of what can happen. Yeah, one of the extinct species that I wasn't even aware of until I visited Mauritius for the first time was the Rodriguez solitaire. So I guess mm. the, the dodo was in the pigeon family. It's just this huge yep. flightless pigeon waddling around on the ground. But there was another weird flightless pigeon on the tiny little island of Rodriguez, which is like almost two hour flight east of Mauritius in the absolute middle of nowhere out in the Indian Ocean. And it had this endemic, I believe it was also a pigeon family and, and quite big. I think it was actually even taller than the dodo, but a bit slimmer, the solitaire. Like, ah, what a, what a mysterious, strange bird. And it's one of these strange things that happens on islands that you've got to be quite a good flyer to get to an island. But then, you know, being a good, strong flyer and getting there and then subsequently losing your power of <laughs> flight that, flightless. that got you there, it's kind of uh, it's kind of a bit ironic. I heard that um, that may have originated or, you know, have a common ancestor that, with the Nicobar pigeon, which is this really spectacular bird that we saw together in Thailand kind of um, iridescent green plumes and, yeah, hmm. quite stocky, but uh, also quite a strong flyer. So um, among the remaining endemic birds, what are there, 10 endemic birds on uh I think it's, ten, yeah, it's about 10, yeah. Were there a couple that were particularly enjoyable or memorable to see? I would say, I mean, the pigeon was the one that I knew of the best, and, and that was a little bit of an anticlimax. I birded in a few different spots, 
And all of them were like these kind of release sites. And some of them were even kind of sitting on top of a cage or, yep. you know, sitting by a feeder or something like that. So it was a little bit, they didn't seem like real wild. Yep. That was exactly my first experience <laughs> with, with Pink Pigeon was that too. It was a, a bird I'd really anticipated and yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. There's eight of them crowded onto that bird feeder there. Yeah, it's funny. And then um, there was other ones like the Kestrel, which there's a quite a famous place. The national park that you go to to see most of the birds is uh, Bl uh, Black River Canyon. Um, it's like the biggest area of habitat that's left, and most of the endemics are there, not all of them. And you do get the Kestrels there, but there is an, actually an, another spot, which I think is maybe private land, this Valle de Ferni. Um, and they used to have a like a fairly tame individual that they used to feed and they used to, you know, have like a feeding time and they had a little mouse and it flew down and you got great pictures. But when I got there and asked about it, it had died, like, I don't know, maybe oh, a couple of years before, you know, so I heard from you, I heard from Keith that, oh yeah, go to Valle de Ferni, you know, that's where you're going to get your best view. So I went there and found this, this poor chap was dead. And uh, we took a walk, and I saw another one, which was just like a really distant one kind of just flying over a ridge. So I didn't see that real well either. So those two very famous ones. And another one of the famous ones is the Echo Parakeet, which I mentioned, was um, which got very close to going extinct. And that also was a little bit of an anticlimax because it looks very similar to a, a rose ring parakeet, just a slightly different shade of green, you know, yep. um, so that also, so the, the three kind of, you know, spectacular non-passerine birds, they were all a little bit of a, an anticlimax. But it, it was interesting. The other ones, the smaller ones, were a little more interesting. Yeah, and I think my favorite one was the um, Paradise Flycatcher, which is also one of the more difficult ones. So what did you think of the sort of natural habitats, the... I, you mentioned Black River Canyon National Park. I think that's in Colorado, but I think it's Black River Gorges is the Mauritius one. Oh, but, sorry. Yeah, Black River Gorge. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of the of the habitat there? Did you find it quite similar to stuff on Madagascar? Completely different? A little bit. Yeah. It was sort of a little bit montane but a little bit kind of dry. Um, Semi-deciduous kind of. Yeah, and a, a bit kind of scrubby. You know, it di it didn't strike me as anything really spectacular or interesting. And then it seemed to be be mixed with you know, there's a lot of eucalyptus trees nearby, and it was getting a little bit mixed with those at the edges and things. So it it, it didn't do too much for me, to be honest. The, the the scenery was pretty spectacular, looking across across from some of these viewpoints across the canyon. It was pretty cool. But uh, yeah, the habitat itself, I, I wouldn't say was real interesting there. Then the more interesting place I thought was um, was Ile uh, des Aigrettes. It's like a small island off the south. Ile des Aigrettes. Yeah, yeah, Ile des Aigrettes, and it's actually a, a wildlife reserve there as well that's strictly protected, and it's got a couple of very rare birds on it, and I think it's pretty much the only kind of native lowland dry forest that's left on the island and some of the birds that prefer that are almost find nowhere else apart from this little island one of them being this um this mauritius white eye this mauritius uh, olive white eye 
Yeah, just echoing what you're saying, my main feeling, again, on Mauritius when in somewhat natural environments is just a feeling of loss of like what used to be mm -hmm. here. It's hard to even evaluate how distinct or different that forest was because it is so thoroughly destroyed and degraded and full of yeah. exotic species. It, it's, it really is such a shame. There used to be different forest types on Mauritius. There was, and you see it a little bit like the lower elevations of, of the Black River Gorges is the semi-deciduous stuff, which kind of reminds me yeah. of things you'll see in India and in Southeast Asia. And then, yeah, on the top, it's somewhat montane with a lot more moss and tree ferns. And there, there was even full-on deciduous forest, apparently, on the sort of rain shadow side of Mauritius. But you're just seeing mm. just, just a shadow relics of these things. I mean, most of that national park, which is reckoned to be this the main forest reserve in Mauritius, I wouldn't even call it forest if I was in Madagascar or, you know, it's just like scrub. It's like degraded Pretty scrub degraded with maybe scrubby, a few yeah. indigenous species in the, the mid-story. It's really, yeah, yeah it's, it's sad. You were saying about this sense of loss, what really kind of drummed this home. When you go to the Ile des Aigrettes, you got to go on a tour, like an organized tour. And it was pretty cheap. I mean, it was maybe like 25 bucks or something like that. But, you, you know, you arrive at the dock at the appointed time, and then you, you get in a boat with all these other people, and they take you on a little walk around a trail and show you it. So it's – and no one else – obviously no one else is a bird watcher. No one's got binoculars. And then you're just kind of trying to – pick up some of these birds at the back but on part of that tour they had these little little sculptures of some of the extinct birds like they had a fairly realistic looking dodo and they just put them in the forest so like you know i like remember where that. it was yep yeah if you go there you know if you've been there 500 years earlier you know, might have seen it right there and they had an owl as well uh, endemic owl and then they also had this giant tortoise with this huge long neck and they had these these little sculptures sort of dotted around the forest, so it was very uh, it was very bizarre. The first night I ever spent in Mauritius, I just happened to be in a guest house that was directly across from the Mauritius Natural History Museum. So my first day, I went there, and that also set the tone for just grieving for what was lost, because yeah. A museum about Mauritius's natural history is not really about what's there anymore. It's about what used to be there. And I, I remember seeing um, a stuffed dodo. And I just always find that so poignant. As a kid in a museum in Pittsburgh, I would just spend hours looking at this stuffed ivory-billed woodpecker. And it just found that haunting <laughs> to think that like these were the real feathers of this of this bird that used to be used to exist. I don't want to get into the treacherous waters of the ivory bill. I'm not making any, <laughs> any statements there. about um, its continued existence. <laughs> Large woodpeckers. But, yeah. but given what was known when I was a kid, that was universally uh, considered to have been extinct at that point. And Dodo certainly is extinct. So, yeah, I remember those sculptures. You know, I don't know how much you've heard about this, but like in recent years, people have been talking about this um, resurrection biology, mm -hmm. like extracting DNA from these uh, specimens and somehow putting all the the original genes in, you know, as as little parts sections into a a larger gene of another bird and making something that resembles maybe like a dodo or something like that. So people are kind of working on this. I don't know what you think about the whole thing. I don't know that I have a really well-informed opinion. My instinct is to say that 
I do see the romantic appeal of that. It doesn't seem like it's ultimately going to be the same thing. And most of these animals, their habitat is just gone as well. So it doesn't seem like it's going to be much more than a kind of a novelty. You know, if we had a time machine, that's what that's what I'd certainly be doing is going back and looking at all these amazing extinct birds. Absolutely. Yeah, so the all the other Western Indian Ocean islands have a lot more forest. Mauritius is by far the most destroyed place. And that's basically because it's a, it's the flattest of all the islands. And the soil is very suited to growing sugarcane. So hundreds of years ago, the forest was leveled and replaced with sugarcane. That was much more difficult, that kind of thing on all the other islands, because they're just much more rugged and mountainous like uh, Réunion and even the Comoros, Seychelles. But all those other islands that I've been on, when I've been in forest, there's just a weird feeling. And it's, it, it is a bit like Madagascar, but it's also different, especially the Seychelles. That is, that's a weird place. It's actually this little fragment of Gondwana land. It, they're granite islands, and they were actually part of the big Gondwana land continent. You know, they're, So those islands have existed for a very long time, but they've been very isolated, and the forest that grows there is just different. And I'm sure it was that way in Mauritius too. It's just pretty much gone. But moving on from the the depressing natural history conservation situation, <laughs> I'm curious, what was your take on Mauritius as a as a little island nation, the sort of the people culture? If I was to use one word, I would probably say nice. It's quite a nice little place. It's a little bit tame. It's a little bit boring, maybe. I mean, most people go to the beach or soak in a bit of sun and, you know, just kind of relax. So there's not a whole lot to do. But um, it had quite a nice vibe to it, you know, a, quite a, a relaxed. People were quite nice. People were quite friendly. It's an interesting mix of people, like a lot of people with Indian origin. So a lot of Indian food and, uh, yeah, so, but I, I found that people were nice. Yeah. And, and I also got to go around a little bit cause I was trying to do, I didn't rent a car or anything. I, uh, I thought I'll just try and do it on public transport. So I, I, I was going around on the buses and also it, it was French speaking. So I'd, I'd been, you, you know, I, I like to study my languages, but, um, often before a tour, I'll try and brush up my languages. So, but in, you know, before the Madagascar tour, I was trying to um, to brush up my French. And this was an extra reason to sort of, you know, try and, you know, use a bit of French. So I got to practice a bit of French there, which was nice. Yeah, and meet a few people, eat a little bit of Indian food. I tried a bit of hitchhiking and, you know, met a few interesting people along the way and did a bit of walking around. And yeah, it was, it was good. I find Mauritius quite hilarious from a linguistic perspective. Well, I think it was originally colonized by the Dutch going way back, but then it, yeah. it pretty quickly was taken by the French and the French had it for not all that long. And then the, the British invaded and took it over right around 1800 or 1801, something like that. And ever since then, it has been sort of nominally or officially Anglophone or bilingual in which... English is, I think English is the first official language, but French is the second one or something like that. That is the, like, the, the official reality, but on the ground, 
it is totally a francophone place and it, it just yeah. cracks me up that you know two centuries of theoretically being dominated by britain and uh, english speakers and it still hasn't reverted it's like french french is quite sticky and it's interesting the french tend to like to go on holidays to places that speak french oh yeah i think they're the sort of number one nationality that that comes on on holiday there so yeah a lot of french people around it's also a fascinating place because it doesn't from my perspective it doesn't offer a lot but it has packaged itself and sold itself very well as a, a beach tourism place and it gets something like 10 or 20 times as many tourists as madagascar which has something like 10 or <laughs> 10 or 20 times as much stuff to see yeah i mean we've talked about these kind of publicity sales jobs that countries have done you know promoting themselves for a, a particular reason but yeah mauritius has done well it's amazing that, that there is so many people going there with so little to see <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not trying to be mean to mauritius but there really is not i mean there's almost nothing natural other than beaches and certainly the offshore stuff is good and the, the sort of snorkeling and diving is good i guess there's like fishing but yeah i mean on the land there's not like historical buildings there's not rugged mountains there's not jungles there's you know all these things that most big tourist destinations do have it's really really only beaches on Mauritius. You know, it's it's user friendly, it's safe, it's well connected. Yeah, people are nice and hospitable, so it does have certain things going for it. But it kind of amazes me that people will fly all the way to Mauritius from like <laughs> the Netherlands. You know, just to go to the beach. Yeah. It's a long way. I think um South Africans are also up there. There's quite Definitely. a lot of South Africans yep. that go there and even some sort of expat South Africans that have businesses and stuff, diving businesses. So they seem to like it. Even certain bird tour companies have uh, have been based there. So it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely got a bit of South African in there as well. Yep. What did you think of the Mauritius Indian food? I only had it a couple of times i was going through one of the big towns and um, i had to grab some food and yeah there was like a sort of indian cafe there so they had a lot of you know fried stuff samosas and a little bit of dal and yeah i mean it was it was all right it was kind of more north indian kind of stuff pakoras yeah yeah i i found it to be kind of watered down version of what you mm. get in india not bad, but it's still better than 90% of the world's food. But I guess my standards are quite high when it comes to Indian food. <laughs> I think I had four nights there, and I did three kind of birding trips. So one to Ile, Ile des Aigrettes, um, the little island trip, which was really nice. Um, then I did the Black River Canyon, which I sort of took a bus halfway to and then tried to hitchhike the rest and ended up walking a very long way. But I had a good hike there. It was quite, uh, it was quite nice. And then I did uh, Valle de Ferni, the place for the kestrel. So I visited kind of uh, three birding sites. But um, I mean, the other big draw card for me was the um, well, it was the coral reefs to, to mm -hmm. get underwater and and see a few fish. Yeah, how was the snorkeling? It was good. It took me a while to find. I was looking at the satellite images at you know where the hotels were and then 
seeing if there was any easily accessible coral there, you know, because normally if it's just kind of pure turquoise blue, you know, you, you need you want little dark areas that look look like coral. So I found this area that was very close to the airport, which I think you stayed there as well, um, Blue Bay. Yep. And I found a cheap Airbnb there. And I took a walk around trying to find some snorkeling. And, it, and it, I found it quite hard even to get to the water because most of the land, it's sold as sort of waterfront property. So it's actually, I found it quite hard to even get to any. Uh, Blue Bay itself has a little bit, a little swimming area. But like when you walk along the coast, it's all like private residences. So that was quite tricky. But I did find one place which looked like it had a bit of bit of coral. And I went in there and swam for like an hour and I couldn't find any. It was It was really dreadful. And then I got out and looked back in and I could see some darker areas and I, I went back in again. But there was there was quite a strong current. But I did see quite a few fish there. But I, I tried a different place after that. I think I tried like three different spots and I managed to cobble together maybe around 80 species of fish. I had like three or four good sessions. But I found the the current was quite strong and and some of the a lot of the coral was damaged as well. Well, you probably saw at least twice as many species of fish than as you did birds then it was i think yeah i think maybe yeah it was maybe about around twice as many fish as birds i think maybe only around 50 species of birds something like that but when i looked on iNaturalist fish there was there was hundreds you know there's maybe might have been 400 species something like wow. that so yeah yeah the fish diversity you know it, it blows away and and a, a lot of the birds as well are, are non-native Yes, you got sort of Madagascan birds and African birds and Asian birds. Um, it was a very kind of weird mix. You get the Madagascar red foodies and South African uh, yellow-fronted canaries and yeah, it's um, yeah Asian little zebra doves and stuff. Yeah, it's very odd. Even uh, the only mammal that you see is tenrix, um, common <laughs> really? tenrix from Madagascar. Yeah, did you not see tenrix? No, I didn't see them. I didn't know about those. I think I've seen more tenrix in Mauritius than I've seen in Madagascar. In Madagascar, they're pretty heavily <laughs> hunted, and they're also just quite shy. There's a lot of predators. In Mauritius, they're just bumbling around the forest all over the place, and I guess they don't really have predators. But yeah, the, the fact that the vast majority of birds and wildlife that you do see is not even indigenous just adds to the, the weird feeling on Mauritius. The most common bird is probably the Madagascar foodie, right? Yeah, the foodies are there. The red-whiskered bulbuls, which is a bird you get in Thailand, they're there as well. There's like four or five, you know, spotted doves. and. I remember I stayed at a guest house with, a, of course, francophone owner and talking to him. And he, I was told him I'm a birder. Oh, I love birds. Oh, and I said something about, oh, you must have foodies in your garden. No, 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 I don't have that, but I have the Cardinal Rouge. And, you know, I sort of gently <laughs> said, oh, yeah, that's the foodie. No, 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 he was very insistent. No, that's the that's the red cardinal. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I noticed people had their own names for things. But kind of in summary, yeah, I found it quite a nice place to spend a few days. I mean, it was certainly, you know, you can see a few birds. You can see a lot more fish. You can do a bit of hiking. You know, there's nice restaurants. You can walk around. It's safe. People are friendly. So it's it's not a an unpleasant place. And if you like just relaxing on a holiday and not doing a whole lot, then it's probably quite a good place. But uh, I mean, certainly doesn't. 
hold the same attraction as a, a lot of other places in the world. But I, I would say it's nice. I enjoyed it. You know, I, I remember the first time I went, I checked out a bunch of trip reports, uh, birding trip reports from Mauritius. And they were almost all essentially a couple in which one <laughs> member is a birder and one is not. And it's this sort of compromised place of like, okay, you can be at the nice beach resort and I'm going to shoot out and do some birding <laughs> in the early mornings. That was like very few people have made dedicated birding or natural history trips to Mauritius, but it, it does have that appeal, the kind of uh, dual focus. I think if you combined it with Rodriguez and Reunion and Mauritius, I think it, it could be quite an interesting, fairly relaxed birding trip. Yeah, the, and they're so different. Those, those, each island has quite a different character, culture, history. So yeah, it does, as an aggregate, I think it does start to be a more interesting destination. And having gone to Mauritius, I, I really started thinking about, oh, you know, it would, be, it would actually be quite nice to go to Reunion as well, <laughs> but, you know, especially from what uh, I heard from you speaking about it. So, yeah, I, I think that's uh, next on the shopping list. I can tell you nothing against Mauritius, but <laughs> I found Reunion like 10 times more interesting. Like it, it's legitimately a fascinating place, fascinating sort of a lot of forest and big mountains, huge volcanoes. You can drive up to the rim of a, a sort of still active volcano. And yeah, there's there's just a lot more going on in uh, Réunion. Yeah, okay. So that's, uh, I feel like we've pretty thoroughly <laughs> talked about the, the great nation of Mauritius now. We put our heads together and I think I've decided that I want to play out with the Mauritius paradise flycatcher which which is actually the endemic that i struggled with most and i walked around playing its call quite a bit and it was actually one of my favorite ones as well it was um it was one of these birds that's surprisingly attractive when you see it face to face had this nice kind of glossy black head didn't have a long tail and um yeah it was just it was just quite a cool little bird so yeah um let's play out with the mauritius paradise flycatcher just a quick word about patreon I spoke to a guy today who was a regular listener and he still didn't really know what Patreon was. So I thought, I know we often thank our um, patrons on Patreon, but Patreon's a scheme where you can support us with a monthly donation. You can do either five, 10, or $20 a month. Yeah, it's a little sweetener for us. It keeps the momentum going, it keeps the, um, the, the, the morale up. Um, so, yeah, we really appreciate very much our support from our patrons. So yeah, if you want to check that out, you just go to the link in the episode description, click on there and um, yeah, just go to the Patreon page and it's quite easy to sign on and start um, donating just a few dollars a month if you're enjoying the show. Anyway, thanks for tuning in again. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you all next time on Naturally Adventurous. Sure.